Are we on already? You can ask me this question. Okay, I can answer it. You? Wow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our third episode of the Vita Podcast. Today, uh, we have a very special guest, the CEO of Luca, Robert Matarazzi. We're actually filming today in Mexico City at the Formula E race. Welcome, Robert. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, on, on Vita, thanks for helping us co-found it. Thank you for your sponsorship um, and your support for veterans over the years. Wanted to start by talking a little bit about you and your background. Tell us about your military service. Yeah, so I was uh, I went to Florida State University and uh, started '99. So 9/11 um, happened while I was in school, and uh, I was not planning to go into the military at all. Um, and uh, and changed changed my mind after 9/11. Figured I'd regret it if I didn't do it. Looking back on my life, it's really what it came down to. And uh, um, and knew if I did do it that I was going to join the Marine Corps. Um, I was attracted to the challenge, the culture, and uh, and whatnot. And uh, and so joined, uh, went to OCS in 2004 um, with a flight contract. Actually tried to drop my flight contract several times. Um, and uh, uh, Bush declared war in Iraq um, around that time as well. And uh, and so went into all the different training and leadership schools. And uh, um, and I knew that I did want to go out and transition to corporate America when I was going in. So I knew that I knew that I didn't want to go in for a full full military career, um, but wanted to uh, um, to just gain all those different experiences. At the time, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into fully, of course. Awesome. Uh, so you deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan, right? Mm -hmm. Can you unpack some of your combat experience? Sure. So I, uh, yeah. So in 2008, um, went to Iraq. Um, uh, there it was very a lot of uh, Kazakh, you know, medevac um, escort and support. Um, and while we were there is when the situation in, in Afghanistan escalated, and we were notified that we would be uh, that we'd be doing a quick return home, and then and then rotating to 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 kick off with the main effort into uh, um, OEF uh, in 2009. Um, and so uh, went in there. Um, obviously, that was a very very different experience than Iraq. I know I, you know a lot of the the vets that have that have been to both recognize that. Um, and particularly the time that I was in Iraq, because Iraq was winding down a bit more, so Afghanistan was a lot more kinetic, for sure. Um, and uh, and then after that, did a uh, a 13th Mu in 2011, which is an also completely different experience. So I was I feel very lucky that I got um, such a diverse set of of experiences throughout my tour, just coincidentally. Got it. So two comma two comma deployments. And yeah, three, all three, three? or more. Got it. And then the Mew, how long did you float? So it was about about ten months, nine, ten months. Wow. Um, and uh, started so it was a West Coast West Coast Mew, um, off of uh, Cal out of California, and then spent most of the time in the Indian Ocean, off the Horn of Africa, wow. and in the Red Sea. I think a lot of people don't understand the sacrifice of being away from your family for that amount of time. You know, it's 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 an incredible sacrifice. It is, you know, and and for me, I didn't. Um, I didn't. I wasn't married. I didn't have children. Yeah. You know. So for me, it was more of my parents and, and and other family members. But it absolutely is. I mean, it's it's hard. I mean, it, it's. I think it's it uh, it's twofold, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of pride and, and support from all your family members, and then. Yeah. But uh, 
Um, but absolutely, it's very hard on them. So. Any lessons that you learned that would later shape your life you know, during your experience in the Marine Corps? Countless ones. I wouldn't even know where, uh, um, would not be able to list them all right now. But I mean, the, the problem solving, the leadership, uh, the, the amount of leadership and exposure that you get to, to leading all different sizes of teams, I mean, pretty much right out the gate when you join. I mean, officer candidate school, all you're doing is rotating through different leadership roles. Um, the basic school rotating through, you know, everything from uh, being a rifleman all the way up to about company commander through, through TBS. Um, and then you go off to flight school, right, which is a very different, lots of crew resource management, small team leadership. Um, a lot of those skills definitely I carried into um, uh, when I joined PwC eventually, um, and uh, because I was leading a lot of small teams as well. Um, but thinking on the fly, decision making, and, and a ton of risk management, I'd say, is I got a very, very strong appreciation for making risk decisions in you know, very little time. So. Got it. So you mentioned earlier that you didn't, you, you didn't intend to make a career out of, out of your service. Mm -hmm. Tell us about how your transition transpired. How, how did it go? What, what did you learn? What challenges did you face? So I had um, started planning for that, I'd say, probably 18 months out. Um, I went through, um, not by design, I didn't know what I wanted to do, really. Um, was trying to prep my resume, I was doing Lean Six Sigma training that the military offered, and just any way that I could try to create um, bullets on my resume that were more um, relatable to corporate America, you know, from just your, your, your core military experience and, and roles. And, uh, and was introduced to a firm Cameron Brooks, um, that places military officers in, in corporate America. Um, interviewed with a bunch of Fortune 500 companies there and ended up going to PwC um, as part of, with a couple candidates in a pretty junior role. And so that was early, early 2013 at a very interesting time because it's when uh, we, we were just exiting the, the financial crisis and all of the uh, post-financial crisis regulation was being rolled out, which is, which is really a another flavor of risk management than what I had experienced in the military. Yep, I remember those days um, when I was sitting at Lehman Brothers and yeah, different type of uh, post-traumatic stress, I guess you'd say. Um, 18 months out, a lot of vets don't you know, have that foresight to start planning so early. That's pretty impressive. Any reasons why you chose PwC? Yeah, I mean, it, I, I interviewed with a bunch of different, about 15 companies and um, a lot of different industries, um, a lot of project management roles, which I'd say stereotypically veterans seem to be attracted to because it's, you know, it's meeting deadlines, understanding objectives and, and, and achieving missions just like you're, you're used to um, without maybe having a deep understanding of some of the different subject matter expertise that you need in either financial markets or whatever industry you're getting into. Um, I chose to go to a consulting role, so I actually narrowed it down to, to Ernst & Young and, and PwC, um, and uh, um, figured that if I was going into a consulting role, I was going to get exposed to a lot of different business processes and types of companies in a small amount of time. And so that was my reasoning, which I absolutely agree with that. That is, a, I think, for anyone transitioning, there's a lot to learn from going into a consulting role yeah. like that. Um, and then. Picking PwC, I was attracted to the team. I was, um, uh, I was going into the lending group. I knew a little bit about lending, so that made me comfortable. But honestly, I mean, it was a flip of a coin between, between either of them. 
So amazing. I think a lot of people, but when I talk to people, it's not always a search for a job, it's a search for people. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell, I know you've always been very focused on veterans initiatives mm -hmm. and that's how we met. Can you talk about some of the veterans initiatives you, you started at PwC? Yeah, so when I joined, it's interesting, when going to a consulting firm, you do get exposed to businesses, but your interviewing process doesn't stop when you join because you then have to interview internally, um, even just to, to get staffed on a client engagement. And, uh, and so when I joined, um, I interviewed with countless engagement leaders you know, from inside the firm, um, and I'd get a lot of, wow, thank you for your service, you know, very impressive, good luck finding an engagement. And uh, um, so struggled, so I sat on, they called you know, kind of the bench informally um, for a few months and uh, got some advice from another veteran who had transitioned years earlier, who was my official coach that was formed, um, which was great to have someone like that just to ask for advice and, and whatnot from. And he recommended that I reach out to a couple senior partners that, um, that were driving you know, very large engagements. And uh, um, I introduced myself to them, and it was very easy to get in front of them because I showed up at around 7.30 a.m., and it seems like most people showed up around 9 a.m., other than very senior partners, and that was very odd to me. You know, in the, in the Marine Corps or the military, usually you're going to show up five minutes before your boss, and you're going to leave at least five minutes after him um, or her. And so when I, um, when I went to PwC, having some of, those, some of that etiquette with me um, I didn't even realize how much it was going to give me an advantage, but it absolutely did because it just gives you a more professional demeanor um, than, uh, than maybe some of the peers that, that didn't have that experience. So, Got it. So you had a really good run as a, in, the, in the consultant in, in PwC. Uh, and then at some point, you pivoted and you went down mm -hmm. this crypto rabbit hole. Can you talk about that journey? It did, yeah. So I had, uh, so about, it was almost six years later, um, and uh, um, was very happy with, with, uh, with my job, with my role, with the type of work that I did um, at PwC. Um, I was introduced to a um, small crypto startup at the time, and, uh, and I, I liked how there wasn't a ceiling associated with it, right? Where I felt like at any, any big organization, whether it's PwC or a bank or whatnot, um, it's very difficult to, um, to, to, to prevent some types of a limit on your development. And I felt like I was getting a very late start. Yeah. And so felt like I was under pressure just because I've always been competitive and, and, and liked challenges. And so um, ultimately what it came down to is I knew that I, I had enough expertise where I could get another job or I could go back to PwC or another you know, equivalent you know, top tier firm um, if I needed to. And so I was comfortable taking a little bit more risks than maybe I would have when I first came out of the military. And so joined small crypto startup that had just closed their, their Series A funding. They were, I wanna say about 25 people when I, when I interviewed with them. Um, and, uh, um, and so joined Luca, it was previously called, called Libra at the time. Um, the name changed about five months in. And, uh, and I joined into a sales role, which I wasn't a salesperson. I mean, as a consultant, you learn how to sell among many other things. Sure. But I was more just uh, didn't really care about the title or the role, just wanted to get in and, uh, and see where I could make a difference. Um, so, so. so you just decided to go for it. Mm -hmm. um, tell us about your, I mean, you started as a, a salesperson mm -hmm. and now you're sitting here as the CEO of a unicorn. Uh, yep. Tell us about that journey, what, what happened? 
Yeah, so three, yeah, so three years. So um, I, I got in and, and really, uh, at the time, the team was building the first version of, uh, of our product, which is an institutional software product um, that was really focused more on fund administration. Um, but they recognized that the same data challenges that that software was solving could be applied to a lot of other industries, really anyone that had crypto assets on their books and records. And so, um, so that was really the, my first ask was, hey, they said, hey, we want someone that can come in, that can do use case analysis, that can talk to senior leadership when needed from these big logos that they had relationships with, and just needed to figure out what type of product they needed so that we could solve it. And so it was, again, it was all back to that problem solving, right, that, that you did. And there's uh, a lot of risk management, a lot of understanding audit processes and things like that that were involved. And so closed a bunch of very big deals with you know, big names in the, in the industry at the time and uh, handed it off to our, our, our product ops manager at the time, who's now our chief solutions officer. Um, and, uh, and he just told me straight away, he's like, there's no way we can onboard all those clients. Um, and, uh, and so that created another problem to solve. And you know, we created a team to help support that and whatnot. And, uh, and that turned into about five other roles um, over the next, next couple years. And then was asked to be uh, originally co-CEO, um, actually right before, uh, right before the, the pandemic began. So that was March of uh, 2020. Wow, congratulations. What a, what a journey. Thank you. So it sounds like for veterans thinking about transacting, uh, transitioning, you, know, you had an experience in traditional finance or consultancy where it's maybe more structured. And then you go into this startup and it sounds like you're a jack of all trades. Is that a, a good way to describe it? It is, yeah. You kind of have to be a jack of all trades, but when you have to be a subject matter expert on any one of those trades, you have to be able to get into the details and roll up your sleeves. Yep. You know? And I think uh, um, you have to be comfortable with the uncomfortable, for sure. Yep. Um, and when posed with a strong challenge or when people are maybe recommending that you do something because they don't see a solution, you know, don't be scared to challenge that and, uh, and think outside of the box and you know, come up with, with things that are maybe a little bit more creative than. Yep. Would you be willing to describe some of your biggest challenges that you faced you know, along this incredible journey and how you overcame them? Yeah, I mean, even like just starting at PwC at the very beginning, right? I mean, um, it would have been very convenient to give up and um, not seek other ways to get staffed on my first engagement, right? Yep. But asking for advice is a key thing. It's really, really simple, but right? Doing that, finding people that you trust that have maybe already uh, been through similar experiences that can share those with you, right, is huge. And then relying on those and adjusting. And if it doesn't work, then great, go back and try it again, right? And, uh, and then from there, um, uh, ensuring that you are professional, that you're not, you know, you're not burning bridges, um, that you're building strong relationships. I mean, those relationships are huge. I mean, even I try to maintain a ton of the relationships that I built at PwC, for example. Um, and it's amazing how those can benefit you in ways that you maybe don't expect at the time. Um, and, uh, and, and I'd say be willing to um, offer solutions to people and, and give a little bit before asking for things in return is, is definitely something that I'd recommend to anyone, right? Um, put, in, put in that effort before you go and just ask for a job or ask for something else, right? Makes so, sense. Yeah. So now you're the CEO of a unicorn. Uh, what's the day in the life of, of the CEO? We're still all remote, so we are starting to travel a little bit more. Um, it's great to be here in Mexico City at, a, at an event, so it's starting to feel a little bit more normal. Um, 
You know, it's, I mean, we scaled uh, the company from, uh, so last year in 2021, from about 45 people to over 120. Um, and uh, um, closed four rounds in the last 18 months uh, for uh, funding rounds. And so um, it's a lot of change that happens every single day. Um, it's a lot of, lot of leadership challenges. Um, and not just my leadership challenges, but more micro ones from all of the other subordinate leaders and, and everyone that's there and guiding them. Um, I think it's a, um, and then doing that in a, work, a remote workplace, of course, is, you know, kind of compounds it as totally. well. Doing it from a technology company, I'd say it's probably easier maybe than some other companies. Yep. Like I'd say our team, particularly the technical team members, acclimated very quickly to working remotely. I mean, they didn't miss a beat, yep. you know, really impressed with with, uh, with how they achieved it. But as we get some other more technical roles, as you scale, you build out marketing teams, sales teams, all these other sure. ones that, that maybe uh, are gonna have more challenges. I mean, how do you sell your product when you're used to selling it in person, you know, over, over Zoom or, or teleconferencing and, and whatnot, you know, so. Sure, it may help the, the listeners to really understand a little bit more about what Luca does specifically. Can you talk about sure. like, your, your clients, like what kind of services you provide? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Luca is a, uh, a SaaS and, and DAS um, company. So software as a service and data as a service. Um, so really what that means is create software and data products um, that are in the cloud that we offer to our customers to solve data challenges. So we're a data first company, even our software is managing data. And more specifically, what we're doing is we're solving all of the transaction data, the pricing data, and any other data that's required, um, whether it's on a blockchain or off of a blockchain, we collect it for our customers, um, we clean it up to make it usable, um, and, then we, um, and then we turn it into really whatever, whatever type of financial reporting requirements are needed or reconciliation or risk reports, a um, ton of different, just like you would in any normal, normal business except we're doing it for crypto assets specifically because it creates data that inherently is not um, compatible with traditional technology. Makes total sense, and you know, as a consumer of, of data, I can't underscore how important and how valuable, usable, clean data is. I mean, you're in an incredible spot. It's paramount, paramount. and the data is growing every yeah, day. Right. I mean, it's amazing how much data there is that's out there. Absolutely. Yeah, so. Robert, so what makes Luca different? Yeah, so there's lots of SaaS companies, right? Luca's definitely not the first or, or data provider. We're creating a lot of products that are comparable to ones that we've seen historically, but we have to do them in very, very different ways. And when it comes to the servicing anyone that's dealing or interacting with crypto assets specifically, what we're doing is we're providing those products um, to uh, a different set of standards, specifically ones that are designed and tailored for institutions. And so we were the very first company to get AICPA SOC controls for service organizations. Really what it's doing is, is we're, we're managing our technology risk in a more mature way and we have an auditor come in and attest to that annually to give our customers confidence that our products are actually working as they're intended to, unlike a lot of other um, retail or other products where those standards don't exist usually. Yep. Um, and when it comes down to this very messy data that we're dealing with, it's even more important that we have those standards in place because if the data is inaccurate and someone thinks that it's usable but it's really um, not or it's incorrect, it's misleading them and it, and it could have you know, very dire consequences. That really, really appreciate that background. So let's pivot to the veterans themselves. If there's a veteran who's seeking to transition into Web3 or crypto, what advice would you give them? 
You know, the crypto industry is so interesting because, you know, there, there aren't um, many formal education paths that you can get. I mean, all the information is, is sitting in front of the computer. And when it's there and it's not standardized, um, it, it's mixed in with a lot of misinformation. You know, I know you and I were talking about earlier today about different uh, protocol layers. And, uh, and I had a different, you know, a misconception about one of them compared to other just because even just all these terms and everything are evolving so quickly. Move so fast. So, I mean, I'd say it's, you know, my, my number one recommendation is to, is to roll up your sleeves and play with it, you know? And, the, and one of the great things about crypto is you don't have to take a lot of risk to go interact with it. Like, you can take $5 and you can go buy some Bitcoin on a, a very safe exchange and you can start moving it around, you can interact with other assets, you can move it out to a DEX with very little risk. Um, and, uh, and so I'd say that's probably step one that I'd recommend for someone that's brand new to crypto, is just go play with it a little bit. I totally know? agree, I tell everybody, get your hands dirty, mm -hmm. um, you know, taste it, feel it, touch it, jump on Twitter, maybe jump on a Discord, and we have a, a, a Vita Discord, Discord now that's pretty Discord amazing. Is huge. They're, they're, right. it's, it's pretty amazing, there's some really smart people in it. Um, Okay, so when you're hiring, you clearly do a lot of hiring. Um, what are you looking for when you're hiring somebody, and, and what qualities would you be looking for when you're looking at the veterans community? I mean, does everyone have to be a computer scientist? No, not at all. Um, you know, the you know, in, in some for some roles, absolutely, right? You're going to need very technical skill sets, and and some of those might match. And there's tons of veterans that actually have a lot of um, more technical skill sets that are that are relatable, right? I mean. The whole crypto industry is is founded with a with a huge appreciation for security, cybersecurity. I mean, it's all it's all stacked on top of cryptography, and and uh, and so a lot of um, a lot of military intelligence um, uh, officers and and other other roles have founded companies and are and are very um, ingrained in the crypto community. So I think there's a lot of natural parallels transitioning from really any role in the military into the crypto industry. So, you know, what types of skill sets are, are, are needed in the space? You mentioned people with cyber backgrounds, intelligence backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Are there other qualities that you're looking for or backgrounds that you'd like to see? Yeah, so when we're looking for candidates um, to hire, um, we're moving at a very fast pace, as are a lot of the other companies that are in the crypto industry right now. And when you're moving at that pace, um, Work-life balance can be challenging. Managing stress, um, working under pressure, and a lot of those things are normal, everyday things that that veterans are dealing with. So you know those are those are huge assets that any veteran that's transitioning has sure. that they should use to their advantage. I mean, someone that that has the um, the the professionalism and the ability to, to put in the extra time, to put in the extra hours, to go above and beyond, and that's, that's able to focus on objectives. I mean, it's, it's just, it's critical. And I'd say those are the, uh, the skill sets that are, that are needed in any industry that's moving this fast. Sure. And right now, I mean, what other industry is moving faster than the crypto industry? I, I mean, don't think so, and I think the- It's historical. The careers so. that are being formed and the money that's being made and just the, the proximity to innovation is just incredibly exciting. I can't think of another industry that's moving like this. It is. I mean, people compare it to, uh, to you know, the the, the dot com boom yeah. and, and all the other ones. I mean, honestly, I, I believe that it 
it's going to surpass it in a, in a number of ways. I, I totally agree. So one of the things I love about our conversations is that you, you provide services to pretty much the entire industry, mm -hmm. right? So you have an incredible view of the industry itself. Uh, what makes you excited about Web3? Are there particular parts of the innovation that really get you excited? Uh, would love for you to unpack that. It is, and it's such a big topic because even if you went and you asked, you know, 20 different people what Web 3.0 is, you're going to get probably 20 different answers. But I mean, there's a couple core themes that are that are that are uh, that I think most people would agree with, like the decentralized nature, um, the ability to allow any company or organization to participate it, participate in it. Um, without having to join some, some big company that has a monopoly on, on whatever aspect of it, right? I mean, I think that's what, it, what attracts it to me. Um, I've recently been part of a lot of different working groups and everything that have been brainstorming, like, hey, how is Web 3.0 really gonna start to roll out? Um, and uh, I mean, I'll, I'll be curious to hear or to see what all this innovation leads to. Um, but the way that I think of it is more interactions, between people using technology in a decentralized nature, and it could touch the entire world and literally every single business. So. Yep. Speaking of the entire world, today we're in Mexico City uh, mm -hmm. because Luca is one of the, the sponsors uh, of a Formula E racing team. Why did you choose to do that? And I think there's a bit of an ESG thing going mm -hmm. on here. Uh, could you discuss that a bit? Yeah, we were introduced um, to, uh, to the Rocket Venturi team specifically, and. Um, they invited us out to a race in Brooklyn a little over a year ago. Um, we thought it was going to be just a fun, a fun event, and, and we didn't really, I mean, we were uh, much less capitalized when we were introduced to them. So, right, so sponsoring a race car team was nothing that we would ever picture was realistic whatsoever. Um, but we went out there, realized that it was also an emerging sport, kind of like, so some parallels to the crypto industry. And then the Rocket Venturi team, when we got to know them, had a lot of the same cultural values that, that we're trying to create at Luca. And, um, and that our team believed in. Um, we saw uh, Susie Wolf, who was leading the team, um, was a very impressive leader. Um, and so we were attracted to that. And then when speaking to all the team, you know, the team that she had built there and all of their different reasons for joining, it was a lot of the same stories that I was hearing at Luca, right? It was people that were willing to take a risk, maybe willing to take a pay cut, take something else, you know, make a sacrifice effectively in order to come over to an industry that was supporting a good cause. Um, they're very competitive. We're very competitive at Luca as well. And so it's just there's so many different cultural values that aligns to us um, that we, we decided at the edit, we didn't know how exactly we were going to be able to work with them because we didn't have really cash at, at the time. Um, but we knew that we wanted to and we had to figure it out. And so we stayed in touch. And as, as we started to grow and, and hit bigger milestones and, and whatnot, we were able to actually officially sponsor them, so we are right now, um, and, uh, and couldn't be more excited. So last question, you know, you're a founder of Vita, you're one of the key drivers behind Vita. What's your vision for Vita going forward? How do you think this thing scales? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think kind of step one, like we've discussed, is, you know, focusing on attracting veterans into the community and making sure that we can give them information that'll make them a little bit more comfortable in taking that leap. Um, but the opportunities are incredible. Um, and I think that um, from there, what I'm looking forward to more than anything else is seeing what this whole community of veterans is going to figure out together. So I don't, I don't think we figured it out yet. You know, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, like, you and I shouldn't figure it out. It should be that whole community um, of veterans that are going to figure it out 
in this rapidly growing industry. And so that's, that's the part that excites me. It reminds me of when we started Vows, um, where we were able to raise, I don't think, $15 million over a span of years. And mm -hmm. you know, we talked about this last night, like Vows was a DAO without being right. a DAO before right. there were DAOs. Before that term was created. But now yeah. we have the, the tooling and we have the, the capabilities to really build a community mm -hmm. that I would love to see be decentralized. So I can't wait to your point to watch it watch it run and see what comes out of it because there's already amazing things happening. It is, it is amazing. And the, uh, I mean, the people that I've already met just by getting this started and the network effect of it is, uh, is invaluable. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Um, thanks for bringing me down here to Mexico City. Oh, thanks it's, for coming. It's awesome. Yeah. And um, look forward to doing many more of these. Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks, Chris.